Hey everyone, welcome to the Precipice. This is my show where I talk about that's it. I talk about that. Like I, I whatever, whatever I can, I, I talk about it. Um, kind of do it when, we're, when we have off weeks for Abrax Precipice, and I want people to kind of come in and chat and just be able to approach us and talk to us um, when we're not playing the game and everything like that too. And I try to bring on people that are that are interesting. And guess what? I did it this week. I brought up someone interesting. So uh, allegedly. Quit, quit downplaying yourself, man. You're a bad motherfucker. <laughs> um, so we have Emily Friedman. Uh, Emily, just tell the people a little bit about yourself and you, uh, go from there. Yeah. Hi, I'm Emily Friedman. I'm an associate professor of English at Auburn University, where I teach 18th century fiction and popular culture and TTRPG and actual play. Uh, I'm getting ready in oh, about two weeks uh, to teach a class for graduate students on Jane Austen and games and an undergraduate research class studying actual play and doing a bunch of big data research. And I lift heavy things and put them down again when I'm not doing all of that. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter being highly online, answering questions and doing a lot of live tweeting as a note-taking practice. Oh, and now I write for Polygon. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, so this is there's actually a lot there, and there's actually a lot I need to say before we move on because like that was those two things. So one, uh, our our buddy Scott from the show plays Wyatt is in the chat. Uh, he's in the middle of thunderstorm. Uh, Emily, he made the comment without my prompting about the tie dye shirt matching the background and hey. how he wants one. So. Uh, let you me know if we can make that happen. I can always, I can send you some, I can send you one and then we can forward it on and have a nice time. So we will, uh, your art will live on. <laughs> uh, we'll live on. This and, is, uh, so that's pretty cool. The summer of reverse dye and ice dye. And you guys sent swag at just the right time. That, that, that seems to be the, that was actually the kind of topic of our conversation before we got on air was talking about the right timing. And also, uh, but so much to talk about. Okay, so the, the one thing I do want to say is we, uh, and you mentioned when your, your intro was talking about the Jane Austen kind of uh, stuff, and then also talk about the role-playing games, going with that, that was kind of what, like, what I wanted to kind of spawn the conversation tonight was about, like, literary role-playing games, I guess, the subgenre, is that what we're calling it? Is that fair? Sure. So, like, role-playing games based on books. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to face the fact that I run a literary role-playing game stream. <laughs> um, and I'm sure many, I mean, many, many other people do, by all means, too. But, like, uh, it, is, it is an element, because uh, you play, our Express role-playing game uh, is based on the books, not the show, and that's a fine line I've talked about a few times here and there. But um, I, I was really curious, there were some interesting questions about that I wanted to kind of discuss. Um, and I, I what, what's the name of, like, kind of Jane Austen uh, RPG game yeah. thing so the biggest one uh the one that most people know and the one that is most commonly used for actual play the one that tonight you can see starting to get used on dimension 20 as a kind of supplement to DD is good society um which is a game by story brewers it's been out for a couple of years now and it is like the big kickstarted has actually gone through multiple kickstarters now uh jane austen rpg it is one of a bunch 
I should note, um, uh, Grant Howitt has done Pride and Extreme Prejudice, a one pager in his kind of honey heist-esque kind of mechanic. Um, Armanda has done a hack of lasers and feelings called Sense and Sensibility. Uh, and there's another hack, Virtues and Scandals by Eric Sawicki, uh, that's also a lasers and feelings hack. Um, there's a whole bunch more, and I'll put into chat actually um, the the kind of itch uh, links that um, that I use. Um, and uh, ding, 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 uh, as we're starting to you know collect them, um, my research partner, Dr. Emily Kugler, who is at Howard University, and I. Uh, this is our kind of joint research project is both role playing games, but also board games and video games that are inspired by the 18th century mm. by Jane Austen by the Regency. But the big one, yeah, is good society. Good society. Yeah, so, it's it's a biggie. So here's here's my question, because I don't know good society. Like, I, I'm perfectly honest. I've heard of it. I've, sure. I've, I've seen people like it and talk about it and can't you can't know them all, period. You just can't. Um, no, no. Uh, which is what I love my, about my, my tabletop role-playing game classes when my students bring something I've never heard of and I'm like, hell, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but what I'm really about good society, so, so as an Austin kind of like, uh, kind of themed, like a themed game, now, now is it like directly based on Austin or is it just more of like, like kind of taking like that kind of like general overall like it's, feeling? Yeah, it's very, it's very vibes. Um, so it is a game that has multiple phases um, that are mostly around relationships and courtship. Um, there's an epistolary phase where you literally write letters to one another. Um, it can be played tabletop or LARP. Um, you're building a character that has connections to other NPCs from the start, um, as well as connections to the other player characters. You have secrets that you're hiding from other people, um, it, you know, kind of along the way. And um, so basically there are different events that happen and it's it's very Jane Austen flavored in the sense of like, you're at a ball, you're at mm. a tea, you know, doing that kind of thing. And it's very much, you could play just straight up Jane Austen characters, right? Because they're all kind of building on Jane Austen kind of archetypes you know, the, the wealthy heiress, the, you know, mousy cousin, the clergyman, those sorts of things. Um, Good Society was a big deal when it started because a lot of the like illustrations and things like that are extremely diverse. Mm. In fact, at one point I took, there's a card deck of illustrations of NPCs that you can, and also that you can use as player character cards. Um, and you can actually make a rainbow out of them um, oh, wow. kind of in if you are a dork like me um and so it is a game that is committed years before kind of the bridgerton moment that we're now in to having a game that tries to let its players no matter their racial identity their orientation their gender, imagine themselves in the Regency period in a kind of Jane Austen novel. That's a little complicated <laughs> um, by the fact that 
Um, it's a game where the players, one of the first things they do as part of the kind of rules of the table is to decide whether you're playing in a traditional patriarchy, mm. a gender swapped matriarchy or an egalitarian uh, world. And then there's a little green box that says race is never um, something that Jane Austen tackles. And so J race will never be in this game. And that's something that Emily and I have written about. Emily is a um, much more learned scholar of race in the 18th century than I am. Um, but I think both of us can reasonably say race is in Jane Austen. Um, Jane mm. Austen is thinking about the, the slave trade. It's complicated. It's weird and messy. Um, but that's a little overstated um and people like mark diaz truman have gotten into really some interesting debates that are still visible on story brewers blog um, which talks about the reason why they made the choices they did in terms of these kinds of historical choices mm. um and i no one has come to a conclusion about what the right thing is in the same way that it's really hard to know what the right choice would be with Bridgerton, which is notoriously trying to do this kind of explained, it's not entirely colorblind casting, but it's also weirdly, like it creates this fantasy for yeah. people of African descent that doesn't really work for a lot of people. Um, my colleague, uh, Patricia Matthews has written extensively about this and it being one of the challenges of Bridgerton. Um, for all that it gives, it kind of is weird in that kind of way because the novels weren't set up that way or the Quinn novels weren't set up that way. Um, but yeah, so the idea is it's a fun, frothy, largely relationship driven, you know, kind of, you know, Jane Austen is quoted by her nephews who are saying this after she's dead. So grain of salt for a moment. Um, but they say that she described her writing as miniature painting, painting on a half inch of ivory. Mm. So small scale, watch what I can do with a handful of people in a small country village. I can tell big, big, important, resonant stories. Um, and so that's what the game is trying to do too. Okay. If, if the expanse is literally expansive, right? And is ever growing in the same way that uh, the kind of uh, kind of commercial colonialist capitalist and anti-capitalist kind of worlds and tensions of belter versus earther is a kind of constant expansion of new sites and new exploration and new jumps good society and games that are trying to imitate mm. the regency are often operating in pretty small local you could walk, you know, between all of the play people's houses in a couple of hours kind of scale. Yeah, not to spoil anything about the last Expanse book, but it does the complete invert. It, right. It, yeah, it's a very different end game. I'll say that it's it's very fascinating. Um, but yeah, with with, with that's yeah, that's true. So our game is like talk about how like there's this expansion. That's a big thing with the Expanse role playing games. There's like, like especially with Beyond the Belt, is like suddenly you open up this huge gold rush situation and there's 1300 worlds to go explore that are all in the gold fox zone and can all be essentially have breathable air and have the common these kind of common elements and that's um and so you're trying to tell the story more of humanity like I mean, when i say humanity like the humanity as a whole versus like the humanity of like a 
town or small scale thing. Um, and I, I, so yeah, I definitely, that, that I could definitely say that was a big difference, but it's also kind of, it's also just a general thing in just storytelling period is what's your scale? Like how big do you want to go? How little right. do you want to go? Or, um, you know, it's, it always reminds me of, uh, Chuck Jones, um, you know, in the way he would do the Roadrunner cartoons and set the restrictions on the situation and he would, they would pull or add restrictions for each episode to make it different. I always, I always loved that approach. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting with the the game and such. So I guess so. So to me, it sounds like what makes it this this kind of Austin experience is this kind of like how you're you have the phases of like the relationship building, the the kind of different elements that like you're replicating kind of elements from the books. Uh, this kind of sequence uh, to some degree, and then. Uh, seeing how it executes and how that kind of plays out while you're kind of participating with each other and, and engaging with each other and having kind of the moments um, and having moments of that kind of in that situation, that feel and the like too. And I think that's, that's kind of the, I mean, that's obviously the role and role playing. I mean, that's the element, like they all have a common commonality. That's what makes them what they are to take on the role. Um, but I'm, what I'm really curious about too, is when, when you talk about those phases in the game, the mechanics of the, of, um, Flight society, right? Make sure I got right. Good society. Good society. Good society. It's close enough. Right. Uh, we're not, we're not, close enough. not quite there yet, but uh, not, we're, we're in good society. It's not polite yet, but it's good. Um, but the idea, if you have the mechanics of it, they kind of enable and I don't want to say force, but they they push that style of that kind of style that lip, that that has that feeling of the book or the novels and, and the like, and gets you kind of in that mood. That's really interesting to me. Um, I've always been interested how like the mechanics of a game, the kind of phases of the game can affect, give you that effect, give you that kind of like feeling of being it. So for um, for Abrax Express was the expansible playing game period, uh, it's it's basically a modern age light. It's, it's a lighter version of the modern age system, um, which makes sense. Um, it's one thing that it has two things that modern age doesn't have. One is space combat. Modern age doesn't really get too much of space combat. You gotta have that if you're doing space is your space opera. Um, but the other one it has is this churn mechanic. And mm-hmm. the churn they kind of is is something that there's a, there's a story of the churn, um, and the churn is just kind of described as this thing where like uh, stuff there's a certain order of things, things seem to be operating, and then something comes in and just changes the rules of the game completely, and now we have to deal. Um, to quote the show, I think Amos's quote from the show is one of the best races. It's when the jungle tears itself down and rebuilds itself anew. Right. Um, and so in the game, they kind of say it's those things you just can't know, you can't be aware of. Um, it's that kind of random chaos. Uh, and it's also when you're pushed, the, the, the counter from zero to 30, and basically it goes up when the players do certain things. And it's just pushing their luck. It's just kind of creating that, that inevitable, I don't say catastrophe. But it, it, it literally, like, one of the, the circumstances, like, someone may die, a player may die at mm-hmm. turn 30 event. Instead of me. Um, so, so, and that kind of creates that feeling of, on the expanse, which is where, like, shit goes over the top. Like, something just happens. It's so paradigmatic shifting for everybody's lives. They had no idea it was coming. Right. Um, I think that, that kind of helps. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, I think most role-playing games, right, have that. I mean, I often, on the first day, because I'm teaching 
newbies most of the time I explain in its simplest form a tabletop role-playing game is a storytelling game with some kind of element of chance or you know some mechanic in that mm. kind of way um and what's interesting is um that good society relies on its players to be that instigator constantly so there's a phase for creating rumors mm. um that work in a in a somewhat similar way to the churn mechanic in the sense that it's not an overall mechanic that impl that implicates every player equally but instead sets a clock ticking on an individual player or set of players in a game in a world where reputation is everything um, and it's the only way that you get anything done mm. um, or and you you cannot succeed without a good reputation, then, um, you know, rumors are a way to control other the power of other players. Mm. And if someone loses enough reputation because of these kinds of mechanics, it can all go to hell. And it's a risky business, right, to try to craft a rumor without having it blow back on you and there are kind of um kind of rolling mechanics for that but it is very much a kind of in theory as in a jane austen novel right these people could go on forever as they are um or at least through their lifetimes but human beings are human beings and they're always going to stir shit up and the game relies on at least some of the players being willing to do that shit stirring in the phase of the game that comes through um, usually once a play session um, to, to kind of build those kinds mm. of um, potentially disastrous dramatic mechanics. I think the only, because I'm thinking about like a rumor mechanic too, and I just off, off the top of my head, and I, the only game I've ever seen that come close to was like Legend of the Five Rings mm. um, with like the court rules and like when you're going to like your own court and all that kind of stuff too. Like, yeah. it, but it makes sense in those kind of situations where you have, and once again, I, maybe I mentioned a court, like, you know, the kind of like big well, regalia things. Yeah, well, and that's the fascinating thing, right? Especially like tonight, you know, as we're recording, um, the very first people who are watching Dimension 20's new season, A Court of Fae and Flowers, are are wrapping up, right? Like it runs an hour and 45 minutes um, and started about two hours ago. And it's set in a Fae in the in you know multiple Fae realm courts, mm -hmm. high aristocratic spaces, spaces Austin didn't deal with at all. Um, but that games like Good Society often flirt with far mm. more than austin did um which i find really interesting so we don't get a whole lot of information about that mechanic um in the first episode but what we do know that abria is bringing in is precisely this reputation meter and that she's deciding what mm. how that mechanic is moving up and down and so there are you know we i know you and i love a good material prop so there are no battle maps they say this season but there are these chests in front of each of the players with little kind of glowing jewels to indicate the kind of rising and falling of mm. the reputations which will be logged at the start of each session so of the 10 sessions 
Um, so they all start out kind of with pretty decent reputations. Nobody's, you know, high or low, um, but they will presumably swing in the course of the, uh, of the season. And we are told, because Abria really likes at the start of any of these kinds of miniseries to do an opening um, episode where you get a sense of what the desires of each of the players mm. are. What is their goals? What are their motivations? Who are they? Where are they coming from? Um, and so we are told the ways in which for some characters, reputation is quite important um, and what the stakes are for if they fall. Um, we don't know that about every character. Some characters, as in a good Jane Austen novel, are opaque to us, are kind of somewhat mysterious that we will find out more about them and maybe you'll pay attention and maybe you won't. Um, but we know that for Emily Axford and Lou Wilson's characters, they are reformed rakes. And in the late 18th century, there's a big debate about whether reformed rakes made the best husbands or spouses in this case. And so we've got these characters who have damaged reputations, but money and power and who are trying to kind of maintain and establish both familial power as well as personal power through the cultivation of reputation and alliance, hmm. uh, which is quite, which is quite interesting. It's not, it's a, it's kind of marrying, so to speak, um, the kind of high court sort of stuff that we might see in a Game of Thrones sort of crown of candy or what have you, um, but uh, kind of the personal becomes the political mm. and it's and it's not as it well it'll, it will be interesting to see um i have only seen the first episode um at this at this point um but uh i'm looking forward to seeing uh to seeing what further parts of the good society mechanic abria ends up bringing in um because it is basically trying to make a D, &D setting into this kind of um, smaller scale interpersonal game that it normally is not. Although every actual, so many actual plays try to make it that way. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of um, Lois McMaster Bujold's um, Brokossigan books, which are space operas. They're, they're literally Star Trek fanfic with the numbers filed off, right? Um, her main, her main characters are revamped Klingons um, in, in, in some very interesting kinds of ways. But her most popular uh, novel in the series is a Regency romance hmm. set in this world. Um, because for her, the Kling her quasi-Klingons um, are humans, uh, kind of expanse style. They were colonists um, who were cut off for oh, for centuries because of a wormhole implosion and they reverted and have built back up to a kind of what we would think of as a kind of regency britain sort mm. of level of gender relations and things like that that have been built through um the necessity for having you know kind of a robust reproductive program all those sorts of things so a sci-fi explanation for why a regency might exist yeah um and so it's it's you know it's really interesting when you see these kinds of epic 
systems and forms then you know collide with these intimate spheres of power um in different kinds of ways and this is an interesting experiment uh no i think it is i i, I do think that's actually because when i see a lot of the dimension 20 and the big shows a lot of them are going for that big epic i always feel like that's like nine times out of ten that's what i feel like they're going for they want right. to tell the big um big scale lord of the ring scale type stuff you know they come with a lot of lore and they like all that stuff. And so, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for that, trying to tell that small scale story. Um, that, and that's what I, I've, I've done a few times in my home games a, a bit, uh, try to tell the story of like a town or a festival that um, kind of unfolding. And then if people want me to spin it out, I can spin it out from there. But I started that really grassroots stuff, which I always, I always love that stuff. That's always fun. Um, well, and that's what I really love about a Bria as someone who builds worlds because she very explicitly does not come from the Tolkien background. Mm. She's like watching the Lord of the Rings for the first time, like now. Um, and so she's drawing from these other kinds of influences to, even when she's working in these kinds of, you know, popular systems, right? Um, she's, she, you know, she's working in a market. Um, in this kind of way. And it's what I like about Dimension 20 more generally uh -huh. is that, you know, they do kind of, you know, Brenly Mulligan has established this tradition of creating, you know, sometimes the stakes are quite high, but um, some interesting meditations about complicated worlds and worlds that reflect our own, as opposed to, um, you know, kind of earth shaking, you know, huge operatic. I mean, even his space opera wasn't space opera, which is really lovely. Um, but yeah, but no, it's, I think it's, uh, we're in an interesting moment in terms of scale. Hmm. Um, one is the scale of the stories um, and people's ambitions. Another is the scale of the amount of shows that are out there. It is a delusion. Um, the number of audio podcasts as of the last kind of data set I was given by somebody who's been compiling metadata about actual play podcasts was over 3000. Wow. Um, and many of which have existed for a long time. And we have this kind of thing where it's unlike theater, which this actual plays often compared to theater, nothing ever goes away or very rarely do we entirely lose something. So a new show isn't just competing with the other shows that are on the same time, or even the shows that have debuted this year. They're competing with a back, huge back catalog um, and, and, and ever increasing um, on, uh, on YouTube uh, primarily, uh, but uh, also on Twitch. And so one of the interesting things that I'm noticing is, you know, so many folks are talking about editing and how editing is important, but also kind of doing pre-game um, work, kind of a session zero before the session zero to be able to, to put players um, in the middle of things, in medias res, mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, because no one, and I think Critical Role shows this, Critical Role can't do what Critical Role is most famous for, which is, you know, unendingly long. You you watch the character being developed across uh, the stream. 
most folks I, I've talked to in my research have pointed to the idea that it's better to, to do some of that prep and planning and things ahead of time, jump in, and then also take the time to edit things down to make them more accessible so you can get more people kind of online. And that changes the kinds of stories that you're telling. It also changes the format um, because some people are thinking about it in the words of a Shelly Jones article, like bad TV. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, some people are using the vocabulary of cinema, some theater, some TV. Um, and there's not a wrong or right answer. It's just, can you find the audience that will support what you want to do, whatever it is you're trying to do? And I think that's a, that's the reckoning we're at right now is making sure that creators can articulate, you know, what are we playing for? If we're trying to get an audience, who is that audience? Um, what's the goal here? And the goal can just be to have fun. Right. But um, there's lots of other goals that are kind of unspoken goals sometimes with I, people. Yeah, I, I, one of the goals I saw recently, someone mentioned, and this was definitely one, was like, it, it forces my players to show up. Like, yes. seriously, it was like, it was a way for me to get a game and then like people like not to bounce on it easily or they, they kind of have that more regulated element to it. Um, then like then otherwise like that whole the inconsistency of them showing up or them being part of the game is recorded ergo right. like it's, <laughs> it's, no it's, it's on record man Name and shame you messed up yeah so like people know and then like, they have, like even if they only have like one or two fans you're like wait what's going on with someone someone's gonna say something so it, that's kind of a weird it is kind of a weird thing um you know i i don't our I know for our show, our audience isn't like big. I mean, by any stretch of imagination, it's very, it's very humble. But we have like, we have like, like four diehard fans. Like I know them by name. Like I know, yeah, they're great. Uh, and we appreciate the support and uh, they look forward to it. We, oh, that's great. But a lot of this was, I, in my original, like, why do I do it? Because why I do it now versus why I did it earlier are two different things. And I think that's true for something like Critical Role, especially. I think I, it, it's their job now. It's it's a job. Um, I think and it's one of their jobs. One of their jobs, right? exactly. Um, and so that that to me is really interesting. Uh, that kind of the kind of like pivot that you have to do with it to some degree. Um, and so having a few fans definitely kind of helped out uh, by all means. But now I feel like the people I'm playing with, I owe it to. Um, Green Ronin has, really likes my stuff for some reason. Uh, and I I feel like I owe it to them. Um, but I, and I, I think I've talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but like, it, uh, the kind of question, like, why do I do that? Why did I start it? And it was like, it's two things, uh, it would be vanity and it would be that I wouldn't, I would, I really wanted to watch an actual play of the expansible playing. Cause I, I, I backed on Kickstarter, but I hadn't played it for like, a, I didn't play it for like a year, a year and a half after it came out. Um, and I went and I watched some of the actual plays. And they were like, oh, we got we got the set. Let's play the, the core adventure, like the basically it's a one shot or even the, the free adventure. And then they just quit. So they do like right. maybe like two to four episodes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how are you guys not like mining this? And then even all it was because you have a TV show, you got freaking the books, you got so much material to work with, like. The, the whole story of the expanse's books takes place over a period of like like 
70 years. I mean, it's got all this huge, like, advanced time to work with. Why not work with it? And so then, on top of that, uh, they're, like, I was just like, I, you know, I want to do this. I want, I want to, like, really delve into this, and I, I want to make it, I want to do something decent. I don't, I think myself's okay. I don't think it's the best, but, like, I think it's solid. Um, and I have watched some of the other, I have watched, I have watched a lot of expanses. I've watched a lot of them. But most, like one of them, there's one that's been on the air now for, I can't name it on hand, but it's, it's been on since 20, I think, might be 2018, mm-hmm. but they only put an episode out once every six months. And they're on episode 30, and their episodes are two hours long, so as long as ours. And so, and like, I'm kind of watching, I was kind of watching it, and I'm like, that's a long time between, ep- that's a long time between sessions, home games. Right. I was I was trying to watch it a little bit, and I was like, it it felt there was there was definitely like a disjointment between mm. the episodes. Does that make sense? Like the players, like yeah. I mean, you're watching them eight, like you literally watch them. You know, it's like he got so big. Um, you know, yeah, so, I mean, it's that it's that distinction between story time and diegetic time, the the time it takes to tell the story. Uh, Right. And there's always going to be a distinction between those things. It's one of the things I'm really interested in, right, is the fact that, you know, in D&D, you can spend hours narrating 15 seconds of gameplay if you're doing a big boss fight, mm. right? Um, that makes time gets timey-wimey real fast. I mean, my most recent local game, RDM, uh, we had done a session zero led by me um, to kind of establish our characters' backstories and how we knew each other. And we'd kind of put a few places on the map. And our first session was like the year, the first year you all knew each other because it was important to him to say, you guys are a cohesive unit who have known each other for a while before the start of, of the adventure, which means that we told, we were a year, uh, of narrow of of story time in the diegetic time of maybe two hours i mean subtract the number of times people had to go tuck children in get a beer you know all those you know complain about history department things i don't know um but yeah it's it's uh it can get really weird very quickly is and then once you think about an audience, that's an additional narrative level that we're only just now beginning to kind of wrap our heads around in terms of what does that mean when you're talking about an actual play. Um, and for some people, ignoring that audience is a thing that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for others, it's important to figure out you know what's working with an audience. I've been listening to... Um, Dungeons and Daddies does a bunch of Patreon exclusive stuff. And I'm currently a Patreon because they did a they did a Jane Austen D&D parody uh, miniseries. <laughs> but listening to their process was fascinating because they do a lot of they they for their most recent campaign, um, they re- they normally release on at more or less unedited stuff for Patreons. But they had to say, we're not 
we're actually going to hold it back for several episodes because we actually cut between different sessions mm. to make the first episode. Mm. And, you know, we know, you know, the Adventure Zone does retakes and, and these kinds of things. And a lot of, especially the audio stuff is all heavily edited, but that was a new layer of, of thinking about what was working from a kind of audience perspective as the part of the process and talking about like this was this going to land was this not um in a kind of you know thinking about this as an artistic object it's really interesting for me because so we we do our expressions live and we don't edit even like our podcast version uh we don't edit um and a lot of that for me personally is that i'm i'm big on being able to do shit on the spot like I'm, that's a personal element of myself is like I can just do this. Right. I can make this happen. Like I should I, I believe like if someone if someone my house breaks, for example, like I'll just fix on the spot. Like I'm not gonna look it up. I you know, unless I really need to know how to look up look it up or it's like, you know, something I've never messed with. But I'm usually pretty good about that. And that, that's kinda how I feel about my show is that like I should I, and then once again it goes to the vanity element for me by all means, which is that I can do this shit live. And, right. I, and, and I'm also doing all the, the editing and everything too like that. So like one thing are the, all the overlay stuff. So I've had stuff where we've had like complete disconnects and, and everything and had not even restart stream, but like uh, not, not to that extreme, but like I had to like uh, jungle, uh, uh, juggle it around and I did it all really quickly. And I'm, I'm like, those are the moments where like, and I have people like when I players them back and watch it, like, they're like, I didn't even notice it. And I'm like, that's what I'm proud of is where right. it's that kind of like just, uh, skin of the teeth extreme and i and i do it and i and i do it because i i like and i i'm pretty open on this i get high off of it like i get like i'm like i'm like all amped up and she's like yeah i freaking do that shit. yeah my, my yeah. wife my wife no. my wife sees it when i walk out of the room after the show <laughs> no and that's the thing right is like one of the the big kind of spectrum i mean i'm been trying to think about how to organize the the book on actual play and one of the things that that is going to have its own chapter is this question of liveness how important is it for it to be actually live versus live to tape uncut versus these kinds of simulations of liveness like something like um the adventure zone does where they keep a lot of the goofs in so it feels live and it's not that different from watching them play live in a live show um but it's still edited with pickups and those sorts of things versus a highly polished compact kind of format and reasonable people disagree based on what their artistic aims are mm -hmm. you know what you're saying is also what uh you know zach lim eubank and malika lim eubank say right? Their belief at hyper is if you're not doing it live, what the fuck's the point? Um, why aren't you just going to make a film? Yeah, I feel like um, a documentary and, at that point. Yeah. And so. they have gotten extremely ambitious and pushing the limits, which means sometimes things blow up in their faces, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a bravura performance it's, of what they can do. It's fucking sweet when they pull it off. And it's, that's the thing about those folks. Those, those guys, like, that's the shit where like, they got a team and they got like, they got, they got, they've accumulated a lot of gear I'll say over the years. Like it's impressive. They've accumulated a lot of gear. Um, and they are using their like stuff like Kolok as a loss leader, right? It's an 
it's an advertisement as well as an artistic expression for the paid work they do. Like they were just at SDCC doing live content stuff for very, for uh, Fury HQ and AMC, right? Like they, they're, their 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 show is not the product it's the, the advertisement is the talent um, they're, they're trying to like advertise their talent is that right it's yeah it's like pull off yeah right if we can pull this off doing this for us Five. And granted, uh then imagine what we can do for you yeah um is is the way that and they do and they've you know they've they've worked for wizards they've worked for for you know different kinds of places um but that's that's how it works and so they take a they take a bath on and they'll tell they'll tell anybody oh yeah i've 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 read the tweets yeah by all means right it's not yeah as a tweeter he will talk to people about this he is he's not shy about you know and and it's also it's also been fascinating to talk to people who have an improv background versus people who have a kind of art school background versus people who have a kind of more writerly background about you know what is it that actual play is doing right um you know to be a writer on an actual play like i don't know i keep thinking about like the charity streams that patrick rothfuss does Mm -hmm. you know they're they're ephemeral objects um they're not intended to be anything more than the live event that they are um you know they they they're not about continuity they're about some you know he just did a bunch of them for uh, showing off the quiet year, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but, you know, not trying to tell an ongoing sustained narrative because that's not what he has the spoons for. That's not, that's not what his interest is, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, but the actual plays are still interesting. And, and, and I think that's what I'm really kind of trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen moving forward is how many of how many shows are going to continue to rely on building an audience that will kind of consume the back catalog and need to do so for the sake of the narrative versus new narrative strategies that, you know, may be supported by mechanics, may be supported by other kinds of things um, that allow for the kind of dip in, dip out, not necessarily episodic, you know, or cap everything being a capsule episode, but, but other strategies for um, kind of being an audience. Like I was talking to um, um, Morgan Peter Brown of the Dungeon Run, and they're also extremely committed to live. Um, so they're live in studio, but they also cut down their episodes to 15 minute um, dungeon rushes. So that their audience, so that new people don't have to watch their two-hour shows gotcha. to get into it. They're also the only people, as far as I know, and I would love to hear about other people, um, who are billing themselves as family-friendly, um, which is D&D violence. So it's not, you know, kind of sanitized in that way, but in terms of language and sexual content, yeah. it is, um, I guess it's PG-13 or whatever. Uh, I did not ask about a rating, so that is, you cannot, do, no one should quote me on that one. Um, but it is interesting the kind of ways that, you know, different folks are kind of figuring out, you know, how they want to relate to what they're putting out there. Um, and, uh, you know, 
the long we're i have this uh piece or chapter i don't know what it's going to become um but i have this phrase that's in my head about actual play the long tail of the long tail right oh, okay so we're in this moment where the long tail of media has existed and has been a, a term coined to describe the kind of flourishing of many different genres in the age of the internet because you can find your little pocket of you know what folks call you know b dave walters was fond of saying this to my students the thousand loyal fans who right whatever uh and you know yeah he said that a lot to that mine too <laughs> no he you and i both know he loves to say this um but yeah so that you get the and uh, you don't need a million you don't need a billion um you know depending on what you're trying to do um you just need the scale that you decide you need um and the actual play is almost the kind of you know the tail after the tail in terms of the audiences that it's it's reaching and the the resources it's able to gain at least at this point in its development so I'll, I'll, i can say a little bit about how the sausage is made in that regard too is kind of interesting so uh, i recently uh, i've been a part of the expanse rpg group on facebook for a while it's been a great resource this guy uh, odin that runs it and Reed Ronan knows about it and they love it. They have and they have the group. But I also I was like, I was like, I kind of get advertisements for like the ex the expanse itself, this like like the whole things, like um their kind of groups, these big groups. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna join one and see what's about. And the number one thing that pops up on there is people are like, I want more. I want more. And I'm like, I got a show. <laughs> and we play based on the books. And there's our, and a lot of people are like, I didn't know it was a role-playing game. I didn't know it was a role-playing game. And I'm like, yeah, and it's approved by the, the Corys, it's approved by the authors and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. So, like, it, that, I, when you're talking about the long tail, the long tail, that's what that is. Is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, like, I don't know, I'll say I'm bleed, trying to bleed off, but, like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, like, go, hey, you know, there's a little bit more over here if you want to take a look. There might be something here. Well, the back, back room or whatever it is, and find, like, what's way back there on the shelves, you know? Um, so it's kind of interesting, yeah, thinking about that. Um, and that's what I love about the uh, Abraxas Precipice. Oh, well, now here we go. This is the great part. I'm, this is, I'm... is that it's identified a, like this is something that hasn't, that isn't being done elsewhere or mm. isn't being done in the same kind of way. And one of the things I often, I, you know, you know that on Twitter every Saturday when people are doing self-promo Saturday, I say, tell me about your actual play. I want to write about actual plays. I don't want to write about the, you know, one person I talked to who works for a major publisher used the phrase prestige um, actual plays to refer to that, like the the highly funded um, kind of profitable, <laughs> the big ones. Yeah. Um, I was like, that's interesting. I don't know that I'm going to use that phrase, but I find it very fascinating. Um, but uh, I don't want to just write about D Dimension 20. I don't want to just write about Critical Role um there's a whole book coming out on critical role that's great um i'm part of it but if you just talk about that you're not talking about an enormous kind of energy part of the community part of how things are made all those sorts of things so i'm constantly trying to say tell me why i should watch your show tell me what's compelling about it and often i get people who pitch to me who cannot articulate that which i find fascinating that they have not that they're not actually 
thinking about themselves in a community necessarily mm. um in a community where i don't want to say there's competition but that you're trying to do something new right um the old joke i don't know if there's an old joke in this field it's really it's really just... new um but the there's it, we've been around we've all been around long enough uh, to say, you know, it's not new to say we're friends around a table and we all like each other. Like, you know what? Great. So does yeah, so that's I mean... kind of the goal of every uh, of every show. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And that's why there are casting directors and things like that. Um, you know, chemistry is important, absolutely. But like to say you're friends at a table, it's congratulations. There's literally a show called Friends at the Table and it's oh. existed for a really long time. And I think there are like the 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 frust the frustrating part is that there are absolutely gaps in actual play that are going unfilled. There are systems that don't get enough love. There are um, approaches that have not been tried. Um, you know, there are perspectives that have not been um, fully developed. And some of this is. Uh, a question of who's getting funding and who isn't um and you know in a time where you know we to build actual play out of the ttrpg community and industry an industry that started with a guy who was a shoe cobbler who didn't fucking make any money uh until he until he did and then pissed it all away in hollywood um you know, like that this is this has been an industry for its entire existence that has been largely fueled by hobbyist labor um, with all the problems that are, you know, built on that and all of the gatekeeping that that then creates. Um, and hey, but I think and I say real quick, real quick, oh, one, one thing I say, I say to my students off the bat when my tabletop role playing classes, they need to understand this. Tabletop role-playing games are newer than video games. And I'm like, you guys need to fucking understand that. Like, like put that in your head for a second. Because that's like, that's like a, that's a paradigm shifter for them. Um, because they're like, oh, it's, 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 must, it's in a book. It must have always been around. <laughs> like... <laughs> no, but not really. But yeah. Not really, yeah. Um, so, but I, I, I had to say it before I forget, because it's like that, that temporal perspective is, oh, crucial to understanding this history yeah yeah well and what's fascinating is so i've been building out this timeline of actual play um you know so that when i talk to folks i can be like ah yes this is where we are in time if you say you got into this because of x show then i know that we're talking about you know well for most people it's 2018 um and it's wild right because um people were putting content related to actual what we would now call actual play that's it's much it's 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 older than critical role it's older than acquisitions incorporated uh you and i know that it's a vexed history and it's a history that intersects with live theater mm, and yeah. improv especially in the la and chicago scenes in ways that i'm sure you know better than i do um but there's there is a history to it um but one that for a lot of people who are coming into this space now they're coming in if they didn't come in in 2020 they came in in 2018 which i found really fascinating when i was talking to folks who are occupying positions where they are 
in some way, shape or form, making a living out of being in the TTRPG space and often performing as actual players is that that's as far back as it goes, right? So that's four years. That's like a college student, right? Um, Which is bonker. I mean, which is, you know. Oh, it is. It's it's brief. It's horribly brief. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm realizing that somebody needs to write down a timeline and write down kind of things that I think you and I would think of as, you know, for us, it's still recent history. Yeah. what Acquisitions Incorporated was and how it's literally been in every single different format that actual play has been in, from the pre-recorded trying to be TV to the convention recorded play to the podcast to Zoom and everything in between, um, you know, uh, but that it's not necessarily on the radar of, of folks who are entering this space now because a lot of those folks have, you know, moved on to other stuff um well understandably because the notion that one can have this be that one can call oneself a professional ttrpg person um without being a kind of a writer or editor um is you know remarkably new um, and for a lot of folks who are in the spaces that involve letting people into fully compensated labor, they're not looking for people who identify as full-time prof- professional TTRPG folks. They're looking for people who have the skills necessary to do the job and aren't going to get weird um, in weird parasocial or networky kind of ways. Um, which is one of the things that surprised me when I got to start talking to people at all different levels and all different aspects of this, I've been calling it kind of, um, commune industry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because it is, a it's, it, it's a little bit of both and it's in many ways, neither of those things. It's not a, it's, it's a spinoff of an industry, but it's not a full industry in its own way. And it's drawing on community and no one I have talked to has said you can divorce it from the parasocial. Um, but it is by no means a true community in, in, in many ways. Um, it's complicated. It is. I, I think about that actually the, the kind of newer history. So, uh, when I, when I spoke to, uh, mutual or mutual compatriot, uh, London, he asked me um, about the people on the show, and he asked me about the show a little bit because uh, you know he's coming on to do the charity stream, which I really appreciate. He's and gonna be so he's gonna be great. I, when I told him he could be the governor, he was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of him as someone who was born to play or be a politician, but now that I think about it, it's it really is the. Yeah, we, we have the backstory. His character had like uh, generated a uh, like political act uh, was a political activist on Earth. Who like got better housing for the people on basic and then like leveraged that into a political career and now this company is like hey like people are leaving earth you want to go help them out on a new planet and he was like yeah and so we have uh governor strato oliver uh and his like we he even came up we even came up with like like what his like uh what the buttons would look like it would say vote strat like it was really bad but um but i was talking and he was asking me like you know what what do people on the show what, I play with like, you know, kind of their background, you know, how we came to it. 
and other stuff I've done, or I've done, I, I, I did like Under the Eyes of the Hosh, and, and my really just like my heavy metal game that was basically a bunch of my heavy metal friends were like, you guys want to fucking play this thing and do it on, on Twitch? Like, yeah, why not? You know, we can promote our albums. And I was like, okay, cool. That's how I met Michael and everything. And so, but he was asking about some previous work and I was like, yeah, Mike's been on, Mike was on a few and he was like, really what? And I was like, I, I mentioned Dungeon Mag- Majesty and he was Yay. like, what's Dungeon Majesty? And I showed it to him and he was like, how the fuck is this 2005? <laughs> he was like, how is this 2005? You know? I had to explain to him uh, a few, maybe last week, week before, we were having a conversation and I had to explain to him um what oh what was it um harman quest oh yeah yeah which you know i mean for a lot it's that was big for a while yeah and well and it's fascinating because right like right now the kind of edited studio you know ambitious production value is is being tried and it's being tried uh as if the it 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 hadn't happened you know you know five you know 2016 uh, is when harman quest harman quest isn't long after critical role starts in 2015 uh 2016 is uh i think both the adventure zone harman quest and dimension 20 i could be misremembering um my timeline is not in front of me but those are all kind of happening more or less uh, in the same breath. Uh, I know Harmon Quest is 2016 to 2019, um, but a lot of money behind it. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's such a, it's, it. you can see kind of how we get something like Invitation to Party. You can see how we get some other stuff later on out of Harmon Quest. But Harmon Quest is, you know, very comedic we'll put it that way it's it's a it's the it's that it's that of that moment where D D is the vehicle for comedy less than and and it, and it could have as easily been anything else mm. as opposed to kind of the narrative turn we've been taking recently where you know folks talk about themselves as storytellers right like once geek once geek and sundry geek and sundry at its height was using that storyteller language mm-hmm. and then critical role picked it up and ran with it um, to kind of identify themselves. And of course that's world of darkness language too um, in interesting kinds of ways uh, for sure. So I, I want to, I want to turn the tables here a little bit if you don't mind. Um, sure. And I want to talk about your appearance on Abraxas Precipice. Now, hey. if, uh, I'm not trying to, you know, I mean, let me do my own show to plug my own show. I think that's the whole, actually, I think I just, I think I cracked the whole thing open. I think I that's mean, how, I think that's how, that's how Twitch works, right? It's just, let me do my own show to promote my own show. That's, that's how it all Always be selling. Yes. Exactly. Um, but I was, I was really curious because one of the things I, I, and I don't, I think it was about us, but I'm not sure it was, you said it was your, was it your first professional, your first paid gig? It was my first paid gig. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that was, that to me was really interesting. Um, I figured, no, I mean, and I, I, I don't know. I just feel like you would like done another like tabletop game. Uh, someone would have paid you to come on or something like that. But I was like, 
but I, I, I asked you Who on. Who of you to assume that I'm like, I have pull? You're fucking dope as shit on that. People are missing out. Yo, yo put her, put put Emily on all your games, guys. That was dope. No, because that, that was a good episode. Like, I, I really love that episode, actually, and I was really happy with it. Um, and I think you did a phenomenal job, and I think the crew did a good job with you and really enjoyed your presence and drama of it. Um, and the, the, so I was kind of curious about your experience with that and uh if you have any kind of thoughts on it now that it's been a few weeks um and it ended up being our last episode of our of, of our right. uh, phase and that was a big thing too is like um one of the issues we have is we're trying to have the phases match up with the the nine books and so moloch's gambit will probably end after like eight episodes like it's, it's kind of mm. short part. That, that that book takes place over a period of like a week basically it's very mm. short overall and so um uh, that's kind of an element that we're we're kind of experimenting with. We're like that's why I don't like to call it seasons. Um, I don't like that term seasons. I you know I don't, I don't want to call it chapters either because I feel like that's I wanted I, so I came up with the term phase. Um, but I wanted to hear I wanted to kind of hear about your experience on it. Like what did you think of how like like from the even from the get go of like of like hearing about the show and then like when I asked you and then how did I bring you in and then the actual execution of it. And if you want to talk about how the sausage is made, you can talk about how the sausage is made behind the scenes. Um, but uh, I, I really like that kind of that, that this is both from obviously from my own insight, but also like even you reflecting on, well, you got brought into the, you got brought into the tribe and got to do like the ritual with the tribe. Like, what was that like, you know, kind of thinking about that. Oh God. Yeah. Drawing on the anthropologist of it all. Well, so um, I'll start with, the reason why I don't do a, a lot of actual play um, is because um, it's not something I, I like to think of. I like to play um, outside of performativity. Um, you know, I play with a um, local game that is much more tactical um that and in fact when we do role playing it uh does not always go well um we are having a current uh challenge with a couple of and i include myself in this it's you know it's really bad when my first ever pacifist character managed to be managed to be the one to initiate our party's first ever um pvp um not entirely sure how that happened but we're still working on it um and uh and then I, I run the 18th century game with a bunch of newbies who are not role play, role players per se um, in quite that way. They're storyteller mm. kind of minded folks. Um, and so I've talked to enough folks and I, and I, and I think this is also kind of a byproduct of the fact that I actually do work with um, BFA students. Um, we have a, my institution has, um, an amazing theater program and our students like London go on to be professionals in the theater space. And some of them as actors, some of them, uh, kind of doing various forms of tech and management work. All mm -hmm. those so I know, I mean, I also went to a performing arts, um, school as a kid. And so I know, I, I know my limits, in that way. And so I came into this offer and I say that I do these things for charity and I do them for, for friends, um, is basically when I sit, when I answer the call to adventure, um, 
because that's I think the the thing that can get me to do this kind of thing um and so knowing my limitations meant crafting a character with you that could kind of explore the meta of it all right mm. of the fact that um in in many ways me as an embodied person was going to be observing and so that's a good headspace for the character to be in um while while moving through it also use was a useful um potential catalyst and you and i had talked about a couple of different ways in which this character could end up being perceived by the crew and in fact almost all of those things ended up happening all at once um in in different kinds of ways um and in a kind of Jungian sort of way, it was the exploration of a shadow self, right? Um, you know, the role of the dice uh, determined in character creation that she was going to have fame and money um, and the kind of, and but thinking about, you know, kind of the questions of ethical treatment of sources, I was about to start, at the time we played, I had not yet started doing interviews for the Polygon piece that mm. out in September, but I was kind of booking those. And I had been talking to folks like B Dave and Josh and other folks, um, you know, kind of as to get the ball rolling in terms of thinking through, you know, best practices and things like that. And so I'm not an anthropologist. I'm also not a journalist right but i have to follow different kinds of ethical protocols in these different kinds of venues depending on what i'm writing and who i'm writing to um which has been really an interesting learning experience and so thinking about you know kind of the ethical impacts of using a platform to share other people's stories when they're not yours is something that i I was like, I can, I can help tell this kind of story and, and something will be come in, interesting come out of it. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I came into this. And I kind of came with no expectations. Like I could be a villain. I could be, you know. It depends who you ask on the crew. It depends who you ask on the crew. The pain in the ass was almost given, but, uh, but yeah, so it was, uh, and so it was an experiment right in every sense of the term the character was an experiment she was kind of she wasn't doing experiments but she was kind of you know testing methodology and mm -hmm. stuff like that um and so yeah i mean it, it was an interesting it was um it was a very interesting experience and i think it did show that like one of the places where you know i can do this kind of work in a one shot is to or it, as a one shot visit, yeah, yeah. a guest spot um, is to create characters who are catalysts in that mm. kind of way. Like where, you know, if they decided to haul off and like shoot her out an airlock, it wouldn't be the end of the world because uh, I mean, that is a, is a guest character, you can do that. Um, and so there's a certain amount of freedom for everybody involved for however it kind of plays out. Mm. We, you know, because that was that was funny because our, our first guest on the show was Ross Thompson from Teamforge Games. Now, at the time, he was working for Monopoly, and uh, I, I know I met Ross a while back, and he's the sweetest, just one of the sweetest people I've ever met. 
and uh but he doesn't get to play a lot of games he doesn't get to, or he gets to play a lot of games but he has to demo games he doesn't get to play like role-playing games mm-hmm. often and so i was like hey come on he's like yeah he's a class so he had him on and i asked the question i was like you want me can i kill your character and he was like can we <laughs> and i'm like yeah i'm like sure he's like oh dude i want to die let's do it He's like, he's like, oh, that, yeah, I didn't realize I was on the table. Let's, let's, let's kill the son of a bitch. He's just like, I was like, all right, like, cool, man. Let's do it, dude. You know? I love to see it. And so that's kind of been, um, that was what kind of sparked that was he was like, he, he wanted that. He was interested in that. So we, we kind of pursued that. Your, I don't think I asked you if you could kill your character, but I was like, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we're going to kill Esther, but again, I was like, good. It would probably have caused some sort of incident. It would have um, caused, they, yeah, they... We had it uh, last episode. Uh, uh, we had an incident. It's actually going to be rectified next in one of the next episodes. We'll say uh, it'll come up on someone's record. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it and, I, and I, but I always try to make that because like uh, a big thing when I have guest guests on is I don't want the guests to just come on and we have a fun little thing and that's it. I mean that's nice, but I want to have them have a lasting, lasting impact in the narrative. And so we have sure. referenced Esther on the on the show since because now we're now in almost gambit which is like a year later right and so like uh esther would have published stuff and the group's kind of like oh, oh was... right there's not a paper shortage yeah so they, they kind of see it and stuff like that and they're like okay whatever but it's 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 that kind of um i like to have those impacts and people kind of pull back like to have those things with the clerk the the guest comes in and has impact. This is honestly, I won't get This is actually why when I had Andrew Strother on from Warren uh, Forge now, but like uh, uh, on is I I felt like I did him a disservice. Actually, I was trying to get him to do the charity game, but he he had he had tickets to a much better concert than my game. Uh, so I can't <laughs> nothing against him. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, I I felt like his character didn't have enough of an impact that I wanted it to have. You know, mm. um, and so that and I feel like I owed it to him. Does that make sense? Is that yeah. that's kind of an interesting kind of perspective? That's kind of how I think about it. Is I don't want people to come on and one and done and be gone. I want them to have impact. So like that's why when we have and I'm trying, I'm supposed to do my show about my show, but like uh, we have Jacob Mundell from the television show The Expanse. He, I mean, he had a blast. He, he we ended up talking for half an hour after our episode was over on air because he wouldn't let us go. He was all like, Aww. he was all like, so, so you guys do this shit every week? And I'm like, he's like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, and and John, you you write all this stuff and, and you're doing the video. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, what? He's all, you know, he was, he was, he was like, he was enthralled by it. You know, he plays some RPGs. So when we asked him back, um, he was like, oh, hell yeah, let's do it. He's all, do a whole month, let's do it. You know, so he was like super into it. And I, that impact uh, is what I really like. I really want where you, we don't just have characters brought in and tossed away and, oh, we had a nice time and we went and did the adventure and the thing. I don't want, I don't want the player. I don't want my, I don't mind having players on there kind of quest givers, but I also mm-hmm. don't want them to just be forgotten as a quest giver. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person in that second town you went to in Skyrim that you're like, I don't remember who. I want them to like be someone you kind of pull back on, um, or you know that's out there. And so like we did that with like Goldie Chan's character Cecilia, who's this gangster. Um, like like Cecilia's kind of still out there, and they've heard stuff about Cecilia's ongoings, and they're like, yeah, we can't go back there. I don't want to mess with their areas all. You know, it's kind of like so the, the kind of reputation, those those that their whatever performance, uh, however they played the character brought to the group. I want that to be something to keep on asking about or reference to um, and such, too. And I, and, I, and I don't want it just to be like. Yeah, I, I, I don't want it just to be like one and done. I throw you out like it's, it's 
you continue to have an impact on the characters as they have a history. I like that kind of like life they brought to it. So, um, what uh, I don't know anything else about like being on the show. I'm kind of curious. Like, you know, it was it, it's um. Was it easy? I guess was I was I was I conducive towards your participation in the game that night? Yes. Okay, I'll uh, make no, sure that I mean, that's good. Yeah, no, I think that um, especially for somebody who you know, I play a lot of RPGs and I play a lot of systems, but this is my first time with this particular system, and so that can be challenging. Um, but you know, there was a lovely amount of documentation uh, and and the, and a sense of you know how things work it's it's a pretty elegant system in that kind of way um especially for a character whose primary moves are going to be talky right as opposed to getting into you know kind of combat situations or technical situations in other kinds of ways so it's also like the crafting of the character to know like to kind of be fairly mechanically lightweight you know um interestingly enough like crafting a martial character in D D. yeah um but yeah so no i think it was uh it was really um you know that was my concern was the system but i figured you know that's not i'm not running the game so it's not my my, my problem uh, <laughs> uh but yeah it's i think that uh i mean it's it's one of the you know kind of actual play experiences i'll be um, talking and writing about and thinking about, and it was interesting. Um, I want to say that I talked to Carlos Luna like the next week, um, as I was thinking, you know, talking to people about design and stuff like that in actual play. And, um, one of the things I've started to ask folks about in term who are involved in actual play is what makes for a good player. Mm. Um, and it was really interesting to i think carlos has given the most kind of robust answer to that question um in the sense of being an audience for others um in in those kinds of ways and i think the nice thing about my character in retrospect is their job what literally was to be an audience for others um and to listen attentively and to give people um the you know the rope to hang themselves or the seeds to 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 water or or somewhere in between um yeah you know i like that episode like here's the thing is i i feel like i i feel i i we got kind of here for time because i feel like you know i try to do the show in two hours two and a half hours maybe and um i felt like you could have talked to the crew for like six hours like it could have gone for a while. They had a lot to say, um, and it that was good stuff, you know. I, and I and I, I I like I also liked having your character in that thing because it was you're going to interview them all, so everyone kind of got a, a time to shine. Um, they each got a little moment. Yeah, and it's interesting um, because you know, ver- compared to say an intentionally therapeutic character, um, you know, you're going there also became the kind of narrative possibility for characters to lie um far in a kind of a more incentivized way which i think is really useful um in terms of the you know the kind of longer impacts of whatever they say 
um, that disclosure has certain kinds of risks, but so does, you know, say, saying something that's misleading or saying something that, you know, uh, or refusing to, to speak or those sorts of things. You can do a lot with even silence mm. um, when disclosure is inevitable, as opposed to the sanctity of kind of more therapeutic structure. This is me spitballing at the moment. <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, it's good. Um, yeah, that was fun. And I, you know, so I, and I, I like this idea. I, I, said, I had a lot of fun with that one. That was really good. So I'm, I'm really like not one a lot. Because um, it wasn't just a gopher quest, you know, character kind of moment. Thing. And we've had, we have had a very combat intensive, in, intensive episode. Like, I think the second to last episode of, of the, of like, quote unquote, year one is like very combat, but they're like, own ship to ship type stuff, trying to assault a position. Uh, and then obviously the episode we had Ross where he died, uh, that was very violent. But uh, you wanted to play a space pirate, so that's what happens. When your name is the Scarlet Corsair, dude, come on, man. You're going to space, or the Red Corsair. Come on, man. Like, you know, you're, you know you're, walk, you're signing up for there, buddy. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's, that's about, I mean, I, we've been going for a while. Uh, I don't, I don't want to hold you up too, long, too late tonight, Emily. I really appreciate it um, coming on and, and hanging out with us. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention I'm going to be at Gen Con. I'm leaving tomorrow uh, for everybody. I'm going to put a post up on my Twitter and Avrox Christmas. I'm going to do something cool. If you see me there, uh, I'll post a photo of myself before because I'll have the you know I'll have the mask on and everything. But um, if you see me there, uh, come up and tell me what you're I don't know, I'm not going to have people like tell me like a favorite character. I don't know, something weird. Give me something. Give me something from the Expanse. Give me something that, you, that you've heard of the show. You have some idea about it. Um, it's you know don't I don't want someone coming up and go uh you're oh ever Christmas oh that's a show it's, it's like a documentary on cliffs. <laughs> like, um, um, when I I remember when I first told one of my professors that I was interested in studying HP I was interested in studying Lovecraft. Their response was, "Is that a genre?" And I was like, "Yeah, right, it's, it's, it's books on it's books on how to make love." I mean, literally, that's what it is. Like, it sounds like is that what, is that what you think it is? That, that like no, that's not what I thought it was. But I'm like. No, that's what you thought it was. <laughs> Just be honest with me. But um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's uh, no. So hopefully they know something about the at least has some vague idea that it's it's a base RPG type show at least. So um, I'm gonna probably have some dice with me to give out uh, to people to come hey. up. And, so and people always like dice. Um, they are very nice dice. They are nice dice. They roll well and they have six sides. At least that's what they, the company told me. I haven't checked them all, but. Pretty sure they have six sides. Um, so I'll be doing that. Uh, I'll be there on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm actually stoked because I finally get to meet Maria and Scott uh, in person. Hey. So that'll be nice. I've hung out with Donna before, and Mike and I. It's funny because Mike and I live close to each other, but we haven't met. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a good time. I'm going to go some. I'm just. I'm going as like a fan. I'm not trying to go to like anything. Um, I know Green Ronin does want me to like come by their booth. Something they want. I'm not sure what it is. Ritual I have to do apparently to keep the license going or the we'll figure it out and uh but i'm looking forward to that a lot that'll be fun it's actually it's actually good funny it's actually the uh the furthest east i've ever been what yeah. Yeah. okay that's just bonkers well i i you know i'm a lot like i one of the speaking of lovecraft but also like someone like uh alan moore it's like you know you ask them what the center of the universe is town they grew up in and for me that's like i have that kind of that kind of situation alan moore articulates this really well um but uh that like i think he says northampton is where he's that's the center of the universe for him and, he, and he's like it's, it's wherever you're from you know that's absolute 
but it's kind of an interesting perspective. So for me, a lot of times, it's just like I'm much more into the learning about everything I can about this area and really having a full mastery of it. I, I already told him, man, my, 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 uh, the historical society here, my mother was the first president and my baby shower was held in the freaking museum. Yeah. Uh, before, while it was being remodeled. So like I grew up in that place and I learned a lot about the history and everything too. So I'm always curious when people tell me like they don't know what's about the area. I'm like, really? I, I thought that was, that's what we take for granted as, as uh, the knowledge. So I'm big on that, but so I'm gonna go out far, far east, go out to Indiana, I'm gonna go to the con, have a good time um check out the sites if anyone if there's anything out that someone recommends to me uh please hit me up on twitter and i'll be happy to check it out and take a look at it um i i'm bummed because one of the panels i wanted to go to just got canceled um it was on like it was on disability representation which uh, yeah that's somehow not surprising that that would end up being canceled uh someone someone couldn't something happened to someone i think the person put it on happened to him so but uh, yeah. they, they sent an email with an apology. But uh, yeah, it'll be a good time. And I look forward to, if you're there, please, uh, not, not you, but like you out there in, in internet land or there, I will I'd love to say hi. Um, and uh, the like. Uh, Emily, tell us uh, where they can find you. I'll throw, the, I'll throw your <laughs> Twitter handle in the chat again here. Yes, hello. Um, I, I have been Dr. Emily Friedman. And you can find me on Twitter being highly online at F-R-I-E-D-E. Um, and uh, ecfriedman.com. Uh, you can also find me uh, all over. Uh, I write for Polygon from time to time about actual play under the name M. Friedman. And uh, I publish a whole bunch, which you can find on my website. Usually uh, I try to put free copies of my academic work there. And uh, starting on Tuesday, checking the calendar the 16th i will be once again um vlogging my classes on the youtube channel critical prof uh which is the way that in a time where a pandemic is continuing to happen uh it, i teach active learning classes and so um i do 20 minute recaps of what we did mm. in each class um partly for my students, but also partly for people who are thinking about teaching TTRPGs, doing TTRPG research. So little notes from the field, they are very, they're, they're filmed here. Um, and they are, they are not edited. They are live to tape. Right. Uh, and so, right. uh, because editing takes time and labor I don't have. Um, but yeah, so uh, you can find me all over, but I post about just about everything on Twitter, which is kind of my main social media footprint at the moment. I think following you, one thing I like about following you is I get to learn about the literal state of the art. <laughs> a no, seriously, like, it's it's like, like knowing what's kind of what's what the haps, and like you're a good um, you're a good uh, crossroads like meeting point for all that. Yeah, I, that's I, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's my goal as a, as the warning introductory pinned thread notes. Um, I, in addition to tweeting about actual play and doing um, kind of live tweets of some of the big shows or shows I think are interesting, um, I also um, am just as likely to be retweeting stuff from 18th and 19th century studies, um, from archival studies, and uh from other weird corners of the oh and book history that's really mm, yeah that's right that's uh it. that is the other hat that i wear 
Um, so yeah, so it's a little bit of everything. I refuse to be constrained by a single brand because all of this could go kablooey tomorrow. And if so, I'm going right back to my printing press and uh, we'll do so at, with uh, great gusto. But for now, this is a fun place to, fun. to study and learn. Well, Emily, I, I thank you again for coming on, hanging out with the precipice and uh, chilling out with us. Uh, this will be available on our YouTube channel and also our podcast. So if you guys want to check that out too. Uh, great insights tonight too. I love I love hearing about the history of the stuff too. But then also kind of like um, hearing about I, I love hearing about how the sauce is made. I love hearing about like all the like kind of stuff, uh, both from my stuff but other people's stuff too. That's really cool and uh, kind of a, a comparative uh, actual play. <laughs> Thing is really kind of cool so I, I appreciate that that was really nice and yes thank you enough everyone my pleasure safe travels to indy we are back next week with abrax Press new episode uh it'll be episode three of molox gambit uh we have jacob mundell from season five of the expanse who played eric on the show amos's best friend from childhood uh we're very excited to have him come back as bingo the vice security officer of the tyco corporation um and he is an absolute delight to have on this show uh he's a real inspiration uh for me and the cast uh, not just because we love him as an actor but um he's he's a, he's a disability advocate he's very uh open and, and vocal about his disability and i and we just really appreciate everything he does and he's just absolutely brilliant stuff we also found out that uh his first episode is gonna be on his birthday on august 10th hey. and i was like i was like oh shit i was like okay man like you sure he's like oh no i'm gonna do that this, this is my this is what i'm doing and i'm like all right you know let me know you know that goes over goes over with the husband and he's like he'll be fine I'm like okay well shit all right i'm i don't want to be i i i worry about that i had this time with, with michael i i never told you the last story about go he was like he was like yeah i'm thinking about doing the builder tattoo with, with a sharpie and we're all like, no, no. And I said, I was like, Mike, here's the deal. One day I'm going to meet you and your wife. I don't need your wife looking at me being like, oh, this is the one that told him to put Sharpie on his face. I don't need that. Like, I don't, I don't need to be that person to anybody. Well, it's, and... like, it's, it's like when we play on Father's Day, everyone's like, but it's Father's Day. And the fathers are all like, yeah, it's the day that we get to do what we want. Yeah. And it, that's the deal. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. All right, everybody. I'm gonna we're gonna bounce. Uh I, I've been John, been Emily, and we'll see you around. <laughs>